Spoiler alert. This is a Dissecting Dexter podcast. Reviewing Dexter Season 5. There will be plot information for Season 5, and possibly previous seasons. You have been warned. Come on in. Pull up a chair. Come and join me. Welcome to Dissecting Dexter. Thanks for joining me again. I'm your host, Gareth Watkins, broadcasting from East Yorkshire, England. We're going to be talking about Dexter, of course, particularly Season 5, Episode 4, Beauty and the Beast. Before we delve into the episode, I'd like to just spend a moment talking about how the show's doing ratings-wise. Looking on TVbythenumbers.com, it reported that ratings increased. I talked last time after episodes one and two about the ratings. Uh, the third episode, uh, viewership increased by 10% on episode two and 5% versus the season premiere, uh, which was good news. However, uh, with episode four, it dropped just a little bit overall. Um, the rating was a drop of 50,000 viewers overall but still pretty good at nearly 1.8 million. Also, it reported further on the rating for the premiere. It said that with DVR on demand and multiple airings, the season premiere has now been watched by 4.6 million viewers, and that's up on six, uh, that's up 16% versus last year's premiere, which came in at 3.96 million. So, um ratings doing fairly well, holding steady. If, if not increasing so uh, so that's good um, so if this trend continues then um, I would be surprised if uh, if Showtime didn't renew it for, for a season six okay moving on to this episode season five episode four Beauty and the Beast it was written by first-time Dexter writer Jim Leonard who was the showrunner and creator of legal drama Close to Home, which I had never heard of before. It ran for two seasons, as far as I can tell. He also wrote several episodes of Fitz, which was the US version of the popular British crime drama Cracker, which starred Robbie Coltrane, who you may know better as Hagrid from the Harry Potter films. Uh, this episode was directed by Milan Chalov, who is a veteran of many episodes of 24, director of 24. Um, so I'm surprised the action quota wasn't a bit higher in this week's episode, but um, he also directed uh, a recent episode of The Event, which uh, th that particular episode was described as quite 24-esque in its pacing and action. Uh, and, I, and I can see that. Uh, however, I, I think 24 fans would be hard-pressed to spot Milan Chalov's mark on uh, on this latest episode of Dexter. But it's good to have someone of his pedigree on board, and uh, I don't know if he's directing any further episodes. I've not checked, actually. Maybe I should. Just a moment. OK, after that unprofessional little uh, distraction, uh, I've had a look, and I can't tell whether... I can't see whether he's directing any further episodes this season. IMDB doesn't list him as director of any further episodes. Uh, it would have been nice if... Um, if he'd been on board for another one, perhaps we could have expected a bit more action. But that's by the by. Let's have a little look at uh, what I thought of the episode. This is the Dissecting Dexter podcast. We start with 
Dexter tending the wounds on the girl's back. They look a bit like they look a bit like whip marks, um, or certainly cuts. Quite very angry, broad, long cuts on her back. Um, the girl must have been in excruciating pain, and subsequently in the episode, she does move around rather nimbly for someone whose back is essentially wide open. Uh, while Dexter's tending her wounds, Harry appears, and uh, he talks about the worrying trend, about the, the reckless kill in the bathroom in the first episode, and how Dexter nearly botched up Boyd's kill. And Dexter even gets the first rule of the code wrong which Harry states is don't get caught, although Dexter says don't kill an innocent, so he gets that wrong. Now here, I mean, we know Harry is essentially Dexter's conscience, um, but Harry's acting more like the serial killer dark passenger side, while the Dexter we see is more like a normal person. He's behaving more like a normal human being, empathising with, with someone who's hurt and instinctively wanting to help them. It's an interesting dichotomy, and we'll see where that goes. It was a good performance by Julia Stiles in this episode. She looked suitably grubby, and her performance was very convincing as a girl clearly well and truly <laughs> fucked up by what she's experienced. Dexter's reaction when he has to subdue her, he's totally conflicted. He's got these two different voices in his head, and he's torn as to what the right thing to do is. When Deb rings, he even gets the time of the day wrong, thinking it's still night time. I liked Hall's performance in this opening scene too. As I say, Deb rings and Dexter gets pulled into helping with the Santa Muerta case. He goes to look at the shopkeeper murder scene that they discovered last week. Dexter uses it as a chance to get an ID on his mystery girl. He, I like how he slips straight back into analyse mode and helps them get a lead on the killer. Interesting how no one else spotted the ash in the blood pool, which, which he spotted pretty much straight away. At the same time, while, while he's there, Dexter slips his own item into an evidence bag, the item that he got the girl's fingerprints on, um, and he puts it into evidence to get an ID on the prints. I like Masuka in this scene. He, he uh, jovially assumes seniority over Dexter in a in a very light-hearted way, emphasising how Dexter's assisting him. So, that uh, cigar ash stuff. Yeah? You learned that in grad school? Uh, Havana room. Havana. <laughs> oh, good to have you back. You know, in a supporting role. Assisting me. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I gotta go. Well, don't you want to see if we find a cigar? I just want to find out who that girl is before the M99 wears off. Absolutely. I'll drop by the station later. And we get a scene where Dexter goes home and um, sheepishly uh, uh, get, goes in. He's in Deb's apartment and the nanny's there and, and she's pissed off at being left with Harrison all night as much as she thinks of Harrison. Uh, she's not happy at being left hanging all night. Uh, and there's a funny voiceover as text amuses the honest answer as to why he was out all night. Oh, he's up. He's been up for hours. I know I missed you too. I'm so sorry I know I'm late. 
Late doesn't quite capture it. It's been all nice. I know. It's just... I killed a man in front of a witness. I just had to tranquilize to keep her from scratching my eyes out. And off she goes. Dexter no doubt kicking himself a bit and muses to Harrison how he misses his mother. He goes to the nanny's house a bit later on and manages to manages to uh, convince her to come back. Now, there is some discussion online about whether or not the nanny will turn out to be good or bad. If the nanny was up to no good, I wouldn't have expected her to walk away as she did. Hopefully she's still destined to be a good character and not turn bad, because it would be a bit cliche, wouldn't it, the nanny from hell? That said, would they have cast an actress like Marie Doyle Kennedy to play her if she was just going to be a background character for the season. I do suspect she'll have a bigger part to play later on. I'm just hoping they don't go down the cliché route of Nanny from Hell. Dexter goes to the police station and while everyone, everyone fawns over Harrison, he nips to his office to check on the prints he filed. And Harry chastises him for using Harrison as cover, but Dexter finds what he's looking for. And we learn that the girl is called Lumen Pierce, Lumen Ann Pierce. No record, no missing persons report. Harry says no one's looking for her. The inference being Dexter should just let her die, thus solving this new problem. But again, Dexter's not listening to him. He also steals some of Masuka's antibiotics to give to Lumen and, and help her fight off any infection from her wounds. And Harry chastises him for that too, but Dexter says, well, Masuka's a hypochondriac while the girl actually needs this stuff. God, he's taking such a risk, but he's stuck between a rock and a hard place, isn't he? Lumen won't take the pills that the pills Dexter gives her. She's suspicious. I mean, we get the strong impression that she's been maybe drugged enough before. She tries to deny seeing anything at Boyd's house, hoping she can convince Dexter to let her go. And it's a, it's a valiant effort, but it doesn't work. But what can Dexter do? He can't just keep her. But he can't risk letting her go. She makes an attempt to escape. No, 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 no. Stay away from me! I'm trying to help let you! Let me out! I can't! Let me out! No! Please let me go! I can't! I can't! I can't go through it again! Just tell me now! Please! Poor girl. We don't know what she's been through, but to say just kill me now. She's obviously been through some serious trauma that she'd rather die than go through it again. We see Dexter's keeping her in the same building he was going to kill Boyd in. As far as I could tell before, it was in it was in a fairly public area, easily accessible. What, what's he playing at? Won't someone hear her? I mean, she's, she's yelling from in there. Someone's going to hear her, surely. Dog walker, a jogger. Dexter does some digging and traces Loom into a motel room with an unpaid bill. He goes and collects the stuff she left, hoping he'll be able to uh, find out a lot more about her. And he finds a letter to Lumen from her mum. And it sounds like there was a big bust up at home with her dad and she ran away. And her mum's asking her to come home. I wondered briefly if maybe the abuse, if there was some abuse going on at home, but I'm not sure about that. I think maybe she ran away and... Uh, got caught up in something else. Dexter leaves these bits and bobs for Lumen to see and we see her really upset when she reads the letter and it's I would suggest it's it's not for the first time she's read it, I'm sure. 
later, Dexter goes back to the building and Lumen's a crafty one. She plays possum pretending to have cut her wrists and she takes Dexter down and makes a run for it. You just knew Dexter was going to catch her eventually, but the interesting point of the chase comes when she gets to a road and a car of young guys pulls up. She could have got in with them to escape someone she knows is a killer, yet she hesitates and allows the car to drive off, allowing Dexter to get her. It's an interesting point. She chose being caught by a killer over getting in a car with some young men. Now, of course, we can draw our own conclusions from that, and I'll talk about that in a bit. Again, Harry pops up and tells Dexter he has no choice but to get rid of her. Dexter tells him to be quiet. I'm really liking this inner fight going on in his mind. Dexter takes Lumen to the swamp where Boyd dumps his victims. He does it to convince her of the danger she was in from Boyd and to show her what Dexter saved her from. He's trying to win her trust, but she's not very forthcoming, understandably. He even gives her a knife as a gesture of good faith, which she promptly sticks in his arm before she breaks down in tears again. God, she's really screwed up, isn't she? Later, she helps patch him up, and she says she thought Dexter was going to kill her. Or worse. And again, we see, clear, we see clear pointers to her having gone through some really, really traumatic stuff. Dexter says she could go back to her family, suggesting he's maybe reached a decision to let her go. De uh, Lumen reveals that Boyd wasn't the only one who did this to her, and Dexter's ears prick up. She says, it's not over, there are others. And so we see where Dexter's arc over the next few episodes is likely to go, working with Lumen to track down these others. I watched this and thought of the film Hostel, where people could pay money to basically buy someone and do what they like to them. Obviously Lumen is still alive, unlike the victims in Hostel, but... Was the was she the victim of a gang specialising in kidnapping, abducting people and renting them out to sick individuals who want to uh, sexually or physically abuse? Perhaps Boyd is at the end of the chain, where he disposes of them once they've been finished with. OK, elsewhere in this episode, um, we have a scene with Deb where she makes a protest about the mess in her apartment, but she subsequently comes around because she knows Dexter and Harrison are the most important people in her life. She's so loyal to Dexter, it's really going to kill her when she eventually learns the truth about him, as must surely happen in the end. Quinn, there's a good scene with Masuka when he's asked about the missing meds. Masuka also comments about Quinn allegedly sleeping with, I think he phrases it as the hottest potty mouth in town. Quinn won't confirm anything, and Masuka makes a comment about respecting his chivalry. It's interesting how, the, how we're seeing a couple of positive character traits in Quinn at the moment. And I wonder, are they trying to paint him as more of a decent man than we'd previously been shown, so, so that we're more torn in two when he eventually gets properly onto Dexter? Quinn wants to show the Mitchells a photo of Dexter but he's being careful because he doesn't want to just throw Dex's name out there, be wrong and end up in hot water. He follows FBI agent Walker, I think his name is, uh, follows him to the safe house where the Mitchells is staying, and, and clearly I was wrong when I thought maybe the actors who played the Mitchells, they didn't have their contracts renewed, because we see Jonah. And Quinn later tells Jonah with some agents uh, when he gets taken out in, in a car, um, they stop at a fuel station and Quinn approaches him. However, when 
he's shown the picture of Dexter, Jonah gives nothing away, not even a flash of recognition, which is interesting. Is Jonah more loyal to Kyle Butler because he sees him as a kind of saviour? The man who put a stop to the nightmare world created by his father, Trinity. Kyle did nothing but try to help Jonah and his mother and sister, and Jonah must realise that and bear him no ill feeling. You can understand, understand him being hesitant. Hell, it's probably fair to say Kyle Dexter saved Jonah from being strangled to death by his father in the Hungry Man episode. Quinn ends up in deep shit over this, though. Uh, La Guerta is spitting fire. She's hopping mad, defending Dexter as someone who's lost his wife. Quinn's suspended without pay. In doing this, though, La Guerta is now giving him the free time to pursue Dexter at his leisure. Outside, after this scene, though, Deb pops up and essentially... Well, she practically throws herself at him. He's hesitant, though, not behaving like the randy dog we've seen him as in the past. Deb's behaving like typical Deb, though, like it or, or not. Disturbed as she is by the uh, confrontation with the Santa Muerta killer that I'll talk about in a minute, she's after more comfort sex, and the comfort sex she uh, jumped at in uh, Dexter and Rita's house after they'd cleaned the bathroom. Quinn goes along with her, but you can see he's not too happy about it. He must know the path that he's now on, following Dexter's trail and where it may lead, and he probably doesn't want to get close to Deb in case she ends up being hurt. Which which is another positive character trait, really. Wanting to protect Deb to an extent. OK, I mentioned the Santa Muerta case. Uh, thanks to Dexter, as I say, they they get a print of one of the murder suspects, the ash that he finds at the crime scene leads them to finding a, a, a cigar butt in the alley outside, and they get a print. Um, at the briefing, Deb generously gives Officer Munzone a chance to say something about the print. She's been nice there, uh, where she herself has been shut out in the past, and she knows how it feels to be the rookie. It's a nice touch with Deb allowing Munzone a chance to contribute in a, in a public setting. They get an idea on the print, and the owner of the print has a brother, and they seem to fit the bill. Interestingly, the brothers really remind me of the murderous Mexican twins in the last season of Breaking Bad, who were shown to have an interest in Santa Muerta. I thought that was a, an interesting parallel, whether the, the last season of Breaking Bad gave them a bit of inspiration for this season of Dexter. The police go to make an arrest and Deb has a confrontation with one of the brothers holding a hostage with a machete to his throat. Deb backs down, but the hostage gets his throat cut all the same. Then the brother gets away. But at least they now know they're on to the right guys. Sticking with the police, but moving to Batista, La Guerta convinces him to go and visit the injured officer and apologise. Batista swallows his pride and does it, and the guy says he'll drop the complaint. The internal affairs guy, though, he won't drop it, and La Guerta, in a private meeting, asks him what what can put a stop to this investigation and the guy says that he's more interested in what started it. He's referring to the original comment in the bar about La Guerta's alleged proficiency in fellatio. The inference here is clearly that the guy's angling for a free sample of her skills, the dirty bugger. You're listening to Dissecting Dexter. So overall, an intriguing episode in that they're setting up Dexter's main story arc for the season and we're still seeing his grief 
manifesting itself as this internal struggle between his dark passenger and his normal human side. We've seen several times how this conflict is causing him to have uh, lapses of judgment and making somewhat reckless decisions. As for Lumen herself, she's clearly terribly traumatised by her recent experiences. We still don't know the exact nature of what she went through, but we can guess that she's been abused by certainly more than one person. Physical and mental abuse, definitely. Sexual abuse, possible, probable. It seems likely that she's going to be using Dexter as a, a kind of tool of uh, retribution against the people responsible. Dexter could use it as a way to satisfy his dark passenger, continue this kind of therapy that he thinks he needs. The rest of the cast, well, Deb's making some progress with the Santa Muerta case, but reacted to the trauma of her confrontation with one of the brothers in typical Deb fashion by throwing herself at Quinn again. However, he seems reticent and uneasy about getting close to her now. And it's to his credit, I think, putting Deb's possible future devastation ahead of getting laid. Batista and LaGuerta? Well, I, I like seeing Batista in some peril, although it's been lessened now. Lessened now, it seems it all hangs on whether LaGuerta wants to go near the IA guy's trouser sausage. Listener Feedback Okay, feedback this week. Uh, nice selection again. Thanks everybody who's written in or phoned in. I've had my first voicemail to the uh, American listener line. Uh, thanks very much to uh, Travis Shefflin, um, who uh, kindly left a very good iTunes review last time. So let's get straight into his voicemail. Hey, Gareth, this is Travis S. I left you that iTunes review where I said I loved your soothing voice, and by God, I still do. I just wanted to share my thoughts on this past episode, Beauty and the Beast. The episode was fine and all, I suppose. I find a hard time getting uh, too excited over Julia Stiles running away and whatnot, considering I know, you know, guest stars tend to stay for the whole season, so I really wasn't worried about her getting away. But what I wanted to talk about, if I may, is something I've never heard anybody else bring up about the show and that they just disregard their timeline completely in the show. Uh, if, let me explain. In this episode, Masuka says that it's t 2010 in regards to you know, who smokes it's 2010. Well, according to my calculations, it should still be 2009, because in the second-to-last episode of Season 4 on Stan Beaudry's calendar, it says it's December 5th. We know that the night after that, Rita gets murdered. In last week's episode, Quinn says it's been nine days since him and Deb slept together. Uh, this, this episode took place exactly one day after that, making it ten days since Rita's death. Uh, for ten days since they slept together, eleven days since Rita's death. This would make this episode eleven days after December 6th, which makes it take place on December 17th. So that's 2009. Shouldn't we be seeing Christmas decorations around? I don't know. I know it's not that big a deal. I'm just nerding out. But I appreciate when a show, you know, pays attention to that kind of stuff. I know, like, Lost would do something like that. But anyway, I'm just being a big nerd. Uh, anyway, I love the podcast. I hope to hear some more Season 1 rewatches coming out, Ivan. Thanks. Thanks, Travis. Good to hear from you. It's an interesting point that you make about the timeline. As you may or may not know, I was really into Lost. 
and in the Lost online community we talked a lot about the timeline and of course it was a show where the timeline was of great importance we were encouraged to pay attention to detail and it led us down a slippery slope where there were times that the fans seemed to be paying paying more attention to detail than the writers and we started to find problems with the timeline and the sequence of some events now Dexter has the luxury of not being a show where every little detail counts we don't need to hunt in the background of scenes to find hidden clues and easter eggs however the situation you describe really smacks of a lack of attention to detail on the part of the writers or even the actors in fact you'd have thought during read-throughs they'd have picked up on on things clearly the show should be currently dated around christmas time you'd think one of the earliest jobs in the writers room would be mapping out the timeline for the season someone should be responsible for ensuring the continuity of the timeline it's pretty slack really and you're right to point it out however i don't think it really has any great bearing on the plot of the show because as far as the actual characters are concerned it's still just a short time after Rita's death now thanks for your, your voicemail Travis uh, now Travis also wrote in an email uh, which I'm going to go into now um, continuing the theme of timelines and the like Travis says there is another major goof regarding Harrison's supposed age in this most recent episode, and in the last, it is said that Harrison is a 10-month-old baby. If this were December 2009, or at the very least January 2010, then that would make Harrison's birth around February or March 2009. We know from the wedding invites in Season 3's Do You Take Dexter Morgan episode that Dexter and Rita were married Sunday, December the 1st, 2008, which, in another time blunder, wasn't even actually a Sunday, but a Monday and that she was supposed to be three months pregnant. Would Rita not have been showing tremendously if she were married when she was six months pregnant? Also, and he puts in brackets, and I swear if this, I swear this is the last time I'll bug you with unimportant timeline jive, I don't know if this, is an actu if this is an actual mess up or more of just weirdness on the show's part, but have you realised that Dexter is supposedly ten years older than Deb? In season one, which takes place in... 2006 Dexter mentions Harry dying 10 years ago in season 2 we get a flashback to right before Harry died during Deb's 16th birthday party if Deb was 16 in 1996 we can gather she was born sometime in 1980 we know from season 1 that Dexter was 3 years old when Harry took him in which was in 1973 making Dexter's birthday 1970 10 years before Deb's now this may not be or seem like a big deal but considering the actors they've chosen to play these characters during flashbacks or even when they just put wigs on Jennifer Carpenter and Michael C. Hall they look hardly years apart in age it makes you wonder why they just didn't give Deb a much different origin story sorry if this is just a complete waste of time for you if that's the case then disregard this message I just found these things interesting and while they don't take away any of my love for the series these type of things sometimes stop me from being completely emerged in an episode because I notice these things and am reminded that I'm only watching a TV show. Anyway, keep up the excellent work and as ever I look forward to future instalments. Thanks Travis for taking the time firstly to, as I say, send in a great voicemail and also for writing such a detailed email pointing out some of the uh, discrepancies. You're absolutely right. I 
I can't argue with you. Um, linking with what you said in the voicemail and my response, talking about maybe maybe clear occasions where the writers have dropped the ball, lack of attention to detail. I think, well, possibly we have to find them guilty again. Like you, um, these things they don't. They don't spoil my enjoyment of the show because, as I say, it's not a show that encourages us to analyse every nuance, analyse every background detail, looking for clues like shows like Lost did, um, where every detail, supposedly, or we were led to believe for a long time, every detail counted. In Dexter, that's not the case. It's a show that, I want to say, wears its heart on its sleeve, but... I think in many cases we take it at face value. We we're not we don't need to delve um, and theorise uh, in quite the same way. So we can maybe overlook some of these discrepancies that don't have any great bearing on the show as a whole. But you're right; it can take a little bit away, a little bit of your enjoyment away um, when you think about some of these things. But as I say, thanks, Travis things to think about. Uh, moving on, I've had an email from Ken Bennett. Uh, I think he's writing from Australia. I'm trying to remember. I think he left a, a, an iTunes review last time. I'm pretty sure he's from Australia. I'm sure he'll correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Ken says, well done on the podcast. Um, no, he doesn't. Yes, he does. Sorry. His email says, thanks, Gareth. Well done. I assume he's, he's referring to the podcast. He says, one point, re secondary characters. The show is only 40-odd minutes long, and there is just not enough time to do the proper character development. The voiceover tool is a way to cheaply and quickly move the story forward, as showing the characters' emotions via visual means will take too much time. Great work with the podcast, Ken. Thanks, Ken. Um... Clearly, this is uh, this debate about the quality of the development and time spent with the secondary characters. Clearly, this subject is a little bit controversial, um, and not everybody is agreeing. And that's fine. As I said last week, um, we all get different things out of the show and have different expectations, so it's fine to to differ. Um, I still maintain, as I said last week. Yes, the show is only about three quarters of an hour long per episode, and they only get, what, 12 episodes a season. But that hasn't stopped shows like, and I mentioned two last week, Breaking Bad particularly, and also Sons of Anarchy, um, that have time to develop the backup characters and make them interesting, give them moments, um, and encourage us to care about them more. I, I stand by my thoughts last week that um, the secondary characters are shortchanged a little bit. Despite the show being called Dexter, and rightly so, they should spend most time on Dexter, um, I, I think I still think the secondary characters are, are, are shortchanged a little bit. Um, another email from Ronnie in Essex here in England. He said, just wanted to say that I love your Dexter podcasts and I've started listening to, listening to your other one, Gareth's Waste of Time. Both are brilliant. They really make my mornings something to look forward to as I tend to listen while I'm working away in my machine. 
feels good to hear thoughts from a fellow Dexter fan such as yourself. So, yeah, thanks, Ronnie. Good to hear from you. Thanks for writing in. Uh, I'm glad that you've started listening to my Waste of Time podcast and that you're enjoying it. Um, as I've, I've plugged before, I do another podcast called Gareth's Waste of Time, which is a more general TV and film, although primarily TV show discussion, um, just where I chat about the various TV shows that I'm watching. Um, so you might like to check that out. I also have the occasional classic movie slot talking about an old film that, that I love. Uh, and we have a popular feature, Samuel's movie quote, featuring uh, my three-year-old son Samuel, uh, which is good fun and he enjoys doing them. So um, please do check out The Waste of Time. Uh, another message from Abe in Mexico, who's written in again, to say hello again. Like I said on Twitter... I wasn't terribly impressed with the latest episode. However, I think it will take us somewhere. Hopefully it will be interesting. My thoughts? Nanny will do something unexpected. Quinn will remain a pain in the ass, and Lumen will get herself into trouble, but end up being an alibi for Dexter to use at one point. That's all I've got at the moment. Cheers from Mexico. Thanks, Abe. Good to hear from you again. Um, yeah, the latest episode. I liked it a bit more than the previous one. Um, and the previous one was saved by a good conclusion when we discovered Dexter had been witnessed killing Boyd. Um, I did enjoy this episode a bit more. There was I, I, I was particularly interested in the Dexter Lumen development. Um, that that kept my interest for the episode. So uh, I did enjoy this one. Um, yeah, I still think the nanny will have a bigger part to play. Quinn, yeah, he will he will be a thorn in Dexter's side. And Lumen, well, I think she's going to be orchestrating Dex's activities over the rest of the season. Um, she's going to provide him with an outlet for his dark urges, uh, which sounds kinky. But you know what I mean, to satisfy his dark passenger and give him some targets to hunt down. So uh, thanks for writing in, Abe. Uh, final email to report this week. Uh, oh, no, I will do before I talk about that. Um, a tweet from Jay Can't Get Enough. Uh, he says, Deb and Dex sharing the apartment. Dex with a captive in lockup. FBI milling about. Dexter season five is feeling a bit like season two. Yeah, <laughs> quite right. There, there are several similarities. Um, uh, we, we can add the Dokes role being possibly resurrected by Quinn this season uh, as another parallel with season two. You could argue the writers may be running out of ideas. I certainly hope that's not the case, and I hope they've got some curveballs to throw at us before the end of the season. Uh, but, yeah, similarities indeed, you're right. Thanks for the tweet. Final email from Matt Cook, who uh, you'll remember has, has been a regular contributor to the show. Um, he emailed in with six points regarding the latest episode. Point one, slow. Where is the development time-biding, maybe. Yeah, it's this season has been more plodding than season four. Um, actually, I'm, I think I'll sum up where I am at with season five at the end um, and, and certainly address some of these points in more detail. Uh, Matt's second point, I like Batista a lot better when he was a troubled soul with ex-wife and daughter issues. Yeah, Matt's referring back to uh, season one. And I agree. We've been discussing some of Batista's 
domestic issues in the season one rewatches, which we will be going back to in due course. Um, and yeah, I I cared about him a lot more in season one too. Um, and and I guess my interest in him has just slowly tailed off uh, as the seasons have gone on. But I like the current situation where he's in some kind of danger, at risk of, of losing his career and at risk of going to jail even. Um, point three, he says, really? The IA guy is asking for a blowjob? Really? In a world of human resources and union reps, that is inexcusably lame and story stupid storytelling. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, it kind of smacks of the writers not knowing what to do with La Guerta. I, I don't really know what more to say about it. I like the Batista in peril aspect, um, but the AI IA guy stooping to uh, asking for a sexual favour. Uh, sexual blackmail is uh, is a bit naff. Matt's fourth point: Julia Stiles looks awful, and that's a compliment to the makeup and wardrobe people. Yeah, I agree. She looked. Um, I mean, she's not the best-looking girl in the world, anyway. To be fair, uh, they certainly made a good job of her looking very scruffy, uh, very grubby, like she'd been living in squalor for a, a considerable time. Um, and yeah, I think the makeup, I think her acting performance was good as well, portraying someone really downtrodden, really deflated and traumatized. I thought she did a good job. Uh, point five: I saw the Deb Quinn thing coming. Just a matter of time before he tells her his theories. If he confides his thoughts in her and she manages to look at it objectively, she may have to ask herself some hard questions about Dex and Harry and what she saw or didn't see growing up. And did she just completely give up on looking into Harry and the CIs that he was involved with, including Dex's mother? Yeah, you certainly called it, Matt, uh, the Deb and Quinn thing. Um, he seems hesitant to get involved with her any further, uh, but maybe, maybe he'll just sort of, rather than drown in it, he may try and start swimming and, and uh, um, doing something about it, turning something positive out of it. Yeah, and that storyline of her looking into Harry's history and the backstory of, um, the, sorry, the history of his informants and the digging she was doing into Dexter's mother and uncovering the business about Dexter's brother. Um, they did drop that, and that was a very interesting storyline last season, and it, it certainly enhanced season four's uh, uh, enjoyment and interest. So, yeah, why did they drop that? Uh, Matt's final point. Preview for next week's episode looks muddled. Where is the season going? I have to be honest, four episodes in and I'm quite underwhelmed. I'm hoping it finds its way... Sorry, he says, I hope it's... I'm hoping it finds its way. But, to be honest, I'm just not sure. It's like they forgot about the wife grief and the baby. Then just kind of throw it in like, oh yeah, we have this too. Dexter begs the babysitter to come back, then he's out all night again. I hope they find a balance, but unless they commit one way or the other, it isn't going to happen. Yeah, Matt, again you raise some very valid points. Where is season five going? We're four episodes in. This this is if if every season of television I mean they, they talk about 
seasons of television coming in three acts. So this season is 12 episodes long, we're four episodes in. We're at the end of the first act, um, when some storylines, some subplots may come to their conclusion, or the main storyline may embark on a new direction. Um, and arguably the main storyline is about to take a new direction, as Dexter has been so far dealing with his grief, getting all confused and lacking in direction, lacking in purpose, and now maybe he's found that purpose. You can see his, his ears prick up at the end there, where Lumen said there are others. Um, so we'll see what happens in that regard in episode 5. But the season as a whole, I've... I've made some comments on Twitter and uh, there have been some murmurings of agreement, certainly no one's disagreed, that this season is, it's feeling like an anti-climax. After the greatness of season four, they really set the bar high and with the Trinity storyline, it was a great storyline and it was made all the better with John Lithgow's casting as Trinity himself and his performance it was astounding and his performance caused Michael C. Hall to raise his own game and they both deservingly uh, won awards for their performances subsequently but they raised the bar so high season four was so good that I think it was very hard I don't want to make excuses for the writers but I think it's fair to say that it would be very hard for them to it was a lot for them to live up to, and we've had a little bit of a little bit of a change in personnel behind the scenes. Clive Phillips has left, so we've lost that consistency, and I think the show needs to find its feet again. They had great potential in the Dexter's grief storyline, and that I think I think that's still ticking along reasonably. It's a little bit of a slow burn. We're seeing this inner conflict within himself, fighting his his normal emotions, his human emotions that he perhaps doesn't acknowledge yet, uh, the conflict between them and his dark passenger. And we're seeing him telling Harry to be quiet this week. And I don't remember him essentially telling him to shut his mouth before. Um, that was possibly a first. But everything else, I don't know, it's just the general feel I get of the season. It's just not it's just not moving along very quickly um, and some of the feedback that this that the podcast has received has, has kind of said similar things that it's sense of feeling underwhelmed things moving slowly slow pacing and it's all very fair um, so I think without season four without our expectations being so high from season four let's just look at Dexter the show as seasons one, two, three and five. I think season five perhaps stands no lower than season three. I would put it maybe on a par or kind of in between season if if season one and two uh, are ranked as the best, certainly in my opinion, season three is the poor relation. I would say season five is sitting in between season three and one and two, if you're with me. Um, but season four has certainly been my favourite and sort of jumped up to the top of the the, the table. Um, so I think it stands 
reasonably well with earlier seasons. Certainly not season four. And I think maybe it had a lot to live up to. And there was potential. And there is still potential. I haven't given up on it. Um, but that's kind of where I'm sitting at the moment with season five. I'm kind of on the fence. Um, but still re retaining a lot of optimism for the season. Uh, I think there's still there's still two thirds of the season to go, plenty of time to turn it around, and to provide us with some great stuff. Next time on dissecting Dexter. Now, before I talk about the next episode, uh, obviously spoiler alert. If you don't want to know anything about the next episode, then skip forward a minute or two. I'm not going to be talking about it for long. Uh, I, I don't want to spoil anybody. Uh, and I don't want to be spoiled too much, so I have deliberately avoided seeing the preview video that's online. Um, but the brief description I've seen, um, the next episode is called First Blood. And the brief description I've seen on IMDB says, Dexter is saddled with an unwanted conspirator. Deb works alone, and Quinn enlists an old friend's help. Now the episode title, whether that means Dexter goes all Rambo... Uh, or whether his first target, whether his target next week is the first of Lumen's um, abductors or abusers. Um, obviously the unwanted conspirator is going to be Lumen. Um, we've seen before that when he's got a partner, uh, thinking back to Miguel, um, it always ends badly. So um, maybe he's, he's, he's going to be uh, kind of torn in two about having Lumen on board but at least uh, he'll be keeping her close. Deb works alone. I presume she's she's going to continue working on the Santa Muerta case. Um, whether she shuns continued help from Sarah Manzone, I, I don't know. Uh, but that little statement there is left a little bit ambiguous. And Quinn enlists an old friend's help. Now, this intrigues me. So does this mean we're going to see the return of an old character? Um, off the top of my head, and just while I'm talking now... I can't think of who it might be. Um, no. But we'll see. Whether it's a character we've not encountered before, that's possible. But someone who's known to Quinn. Um, he's obviously suspended and has time on his hands now to uh, uh, pursue Dexter. So whether he gets somebody to, uh, somebody unfamiliar to Dexter to follow him um, or maybe do some digging, we shall see. This is the Dissecting Dexter podcast. Keep up to date with the show on Twitter. Follow at Dissect Dexter. Okay, that is... Well, that just about brings us to the end of another Dissecting Dexter. Uh, I, I realised that I didn't include the contact information in the feedback se section, so I'll quickly go through that now. Um, if you want to email me, the email address is dissectingdexter all one word, dissectingdexter at gmail.com. You can follow the show on Twitter, at dissectdexter. Or you can follow my personal Twitter, at gareth underscore UK. Or our listener lines, which I'm really chuffed, is uh, both are, are getting a bit of use now. Uh, in the US, the number is 206-350-6166. In the UK, the number is 844 Five seven nine six nine four nine, and with the UK number, you then enter mailbox ID zero eight three two zero when the voice prompts you. 
So thanks very much to everybody who's phoned in or written in or tweeted. I really appreciate any and all feedback, whether you disagree with whether you're disagreeing with my opinions within the podcast or not. As I said earlier, the uh, discussion about the secondary characters may well rumble on, and and I welcome it. I welcome the discussion. It's 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 all good. Uh, no hard feelings, certainly if you don't agree with um, some of the criticism I've I've made. Um, so obviously also this, this week I've, I've kind of brought you up to speed as to where I am with the series in general at the moment. Um, I'm still enjoying the show, I still really look forward to watching each new episode and I still have a lot of optimism for the season, there's still plenty of time for there to be some really good stuff. I think we've still got some exciting things to come with, with Dexter's grief manifesting itself. I think there's still a resolution of this, this inner conflict to come. Um, and whether it will place him in more jeopardy, uh, I sincerely hope so, because um, a lot of people have said, and, and, and I agree, that Dexter is at its most fun when he's in danger of being discovered and he's kind of on the run, as it were, trying to get himself out of trouble. So, that's it. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Your support is very much appreciated. It really does help me, does spur me onwards and encourage me to keep doing these. And I enjoy doing it as well, to be fair. Thank you very much. I shall speak to you soon.